wonderful reading by Juliet. Even, even Carl got it after hearing that. <laughs> so, this is a, a very interesting, and, and you, you totally pointed out the whole point of the sermon, is we've got David once again in a very, very tight spot. David and his men were in the wilderness of Mount. I'm learning French, so now all of my final consonants are getting dropped in everything I say. So in the Arabah, in the wilderness of Jeshimon. Sorry, I can't help it. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock. And whenever I hear the word rock, I start thinking Jesus already out of my head. Um, and lived in the wilderness of Mount. Maon, and when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. It's almost like the three stooges, you know, going around the table, you know. And um, David was hurrying to get away from Saul, and Saul and his men were closing in on David. So David, they, they were going to get the better of him. Saul was about to get David, or closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, the place is called the Rock of Escape. So what caused Saul to stop pursuing David? The Philistines. Specifically, the messenger coming to him that the Philistines were attacking more specifically, who stopped Saul from attacking David? God stopped Saul from attacking David. And that's the whole point. There, God gives us this rock of escape. Our burden in life, life is, is not a bed of roses. I've, I've said this before. We have, according to the scriptures, according to the church throughout history, we have three primary enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is this smorgasbord of wonderful stuff. It's not really wonderful stuff, but it looks like wonderful stuff. It's you know, our smartphones, our TVs, our, you know, Netflix, you know, everything the world has to offer, all the naughty stuff. The smorgasbord, look, oh, look at all this. And it's all permissible now. We live in an age where no one's really going to lambaste you for doing whatever you want. We all know this. We all know this. Harvey Weinstein. We all know yeah. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein. But that's just, that's, that's a whole other sermon. Um, the flesh is the second thing. That's us, our flesh. Not our souls, but our flesh going, yes, looking at the smorgasbord saying, yes, I can't wait. It's like, oh, wow. Um, I think Jim Gaffigan would say, you're going through the buffet line, and you see the, the big bit of bacon, and you're saying, why did I put all this fruit on my plate when there's all this bacon here? You know, so we're all wanting the bacon. You know, the, the world offers the bacon, our flesh craves the bacon, okay? to use this wonderful metaphor I just came up with. And then the devil, who's whispering in your ear, saying, bacon's good for you. 
I'll vouch for you. Bacon's awesome. Do it, do it, do it. So that's that's what we're up against. Temptation at the at the highest level. And God provides us a rock of escape. He he also allows an agent. There are two agents. First is the agent that tempts us. So in this in this case, we've got Saul pursuing David. David is the agent. God is allowing him. God could take him out like that, but he allows he allows the devil to tempt us. He's got him on a on a leash, and God is sinlessly using the devil to tempt us. That's that's another aspect that God is so good that He still allows evil to take place. You say, well, God must not be all that good if He's allowing evil, but He's the only one with the the full picture in mind, and so He knows to allow evil to attain the greatest possible good. We've already corrupted the earth. The, the corruption is there. We've already sinned against God. We've already inflicted the curse upon everything. That's happened already. It's like when you're playing chess and you lose your queen. Your queen's your most power, powerful piece. It's like Adam says to God, hey, let me play Let me play chess with the devil. I can do it. And God says, sure, go ahead. And first thing Adam does is lose his queen. You can't get the queen back. I mean, you can if you get a pawn all the way to the end. That's just chess. But you can still win the game without the queen. That's essentially what God's doing. He's winning the game without the queen. We got we we foolishly gave the queen up, and then God takes the chessboard back and says, "Okay, let me finish the game for you. This time, I'm going to win without the queen." And Satan's like, "No, I've got my queen. So I'm I, it's the most powerful piece. I'm going to win." That's like, no, I'm God. But he allows that to happen. He allows us to be tempted because when we utilize the rock of escape, we become better. Remember, I think I talked about this last week. God doesn't change our circumstances. He doesn't fix our circumstances. He fixes us. Through Christ, he fixes us. We react better against our circumstances. We grow. We become better. And um, Paul explains this in more detail in 1 Corinthians 10. Listen to this. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters... That our fathers were all under the cloud. That is a reference to Exodus. So we're all the remember all the Israelites were freed from Egypt, and they're wandering in the wilderness and they're following the cloud. They were they were rescued. All of these people were rescued, and all passed through the sea. All went through the Red Sea. Remember, the Red Sea symbolizes baptism. You're passing through water to the other side. And he even says that. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All were baptized into the, the, the covenant of works, into the law. We were all baptized. Everybody on earth, even people who don't believe, are essentially 
in this place. And then people who profess Christ are who claim to be following them. And so here is here is um, Paul saying these people were rescued out of Egypt. They're following Moses. They're following the cloud. They've been baptized, symbolically baptized through the Red Sea. They're now wandering in the wilderness. And I said this last week. We're sort of wandering in the wilderness ourselves. We're rescued from Egypt. And then we're in the wilderness. And there's a lot of temptation going on in the wilderness. And God provides this rock of escape for us. We were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. And remember, manna came from the sky. Moses also struck the rock at various times and water flowed from the rock so they never went thirsty. And he's saying that that rock was Christ. And all of the Israelites drank from that. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Remember, that whole group did not make it to the promised land. All, If you want to update it to today, all profession Christians don't make it to the promised land. Because... Well, I'll show you why, because these things took place as examples for us. They're historical things. They're historical events that took place, but they're also written down as real-life parables for us today to look at and learn from. These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So these people who were rescued out of Egypt and were put in the wilderness by God and passed through the Red Sea. And you know, every, not everybody who's baptized stays. You know, many, many, many fall away. And they desired evil, is what, is what Paul is saying. They still desired evil, even after being rescued by God. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's a reference to the golden calf incident. Moses is up on the mountain with God. He's taking too long. People are getting restless. I need something tangible to worship. This, this pillar of cloud thing isn't doing it for me. And so they go to Aaron. Aaron's the, the agent of temptation here. He takes all their gold and he makes this golden cat. And they worship it and they say, this is not a violation of the first commandment so much as it is a violation of the second commandment. They're, they still believe God rescued them. Jehovah rescued them. But now they're making a graven image to represent Jehovah. You are the God that released us from Egypt. And so, of course, Moses comes down, and Moses breaks the, the, you know, we see that, smashes the tablets, and then what he's done is he's gotten on his knees, because Lord, the Lord has said, I'm wiping all of them out. None of them are going to live past this day. And Moses throws himself down on the ground and says, take me instead. 
Who's that remind you of? Christ. And, and, and God did take Christ instead. Whereas Moses just pleaded with him, just take me instead, and God relented and said, okay, I'm just not going to... I'm not going to wipe. A lot of people did die. There was a plague. What happens is a plague suddenly rises up and wipes out a number of people. So the agent of rescue, the rock of escape in that case, was obviously Christ, but Moses representing Christ. So you have Aaron tempting them, also them tempting themselves, the devil tempting them, and using Aaron. And then here comes Moses rescuing them by standing in the Christ role. And it says, next, he says another example. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. This isn't a very well-read passage. It's actually a very disturbing passage. I'm not going to go into detail, but you can look at it. I think it's Numbers 25. We, we start, the Moabite women look really good, so all the Israelite men start bringing them into their homes. And then they bring, the, the women bring their idols, and then the, the men start worshiping their idols. And God's like, can't do this. Once again, these people are turning away from the God who saved them, and are turning toward a false God. And it gets to the point where Moses is chastising everybody and said, okay, God's going to wipe you all out. You need to stop this. And at the same time, while, while everybody's standing there in front of the tent of meeting, this is where God, the smoke, you know, coming down to the tent of meeting, uh, an Israelite guy and a, and a Midianite woman holding hands go, da, 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 and go into the tent of meeting to do naughtiness. And then Phineas, the... Um, great high priest at the time, who's a descendant of Aaron, stops it with a spear through both of them at the same time. And suddenly the curse is stopped. But by that time, as it says, 23,000 had already died from God's curse. Once ahead, an agent of evil comes in, tempts everybody, and then an agent that represents Christ comes in and stops it. And just, I mean, these are these are kind of abstract historical events that happen, but we can apply them to our lives. We we see how agents of evil keep coming into our lives to tempt us. And that there is a rock of escape each time through Christ. Um, the next example. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. That's We were studying that in John 3. Where Jesus compares himself to the bronze serpent. Remember, the people, oh, I wish we had been... Wish we had just stayed in Egypt. God brought us out of Egypt to kill us intentionally. Something really interesting I heard, and that, that really makes sense. The first three commandments are sort of permutations of the same commandment. 
first commandment is thou shalt have no other gods before me or but me. You know, don't worship other gods besides God. And we do that all the time. We worship ourselves. We worship, you know, money. Money. We worship Stargate Atlantis. We worship everything. <laughs> And, and that's a natural inclination of humans. But God is saying, don't do that. Repent of that. We move to the next one. That's what I just described, making a graven image of God, saying, God is like this. And we do that a lot, especially when you're in a church that teaches false doctrine. This person says, Jesus is like this. And then they make something up. Or something that they were passed down by somebody else. And it's not biblical. And so then the congregation comes out going, Oh, Jesus is my homeboy. Or something, you know, whatever whatever you want to... Whatever, whatever was the fancy of the preacher that day. Boyfriend. Yeah, Jesus is my boyfriend. God's my dad. Yeah, and my daddy. He is your father, but, you know, there's that whole... Fathers discipline their children relationship that's lost when he becomes daddy. You know? And, and some, some of them are true, but they're tweaking just enough to lead people astray. So that was that second commandment, is, is making a graven image, a false version of Jesus, you know, the, the Build-A-Bear. You, know, you, made, you, built, you built your own God, and then you named it Jesus, because everybody names their, their own God Jesus. My God would never do this. Well, according to the Bible, he does do that. I'll name it Jesus. Third, blasphemy. Taking the name of the Lord, God's, God's name in vain. This is what I heard from a Jewish scholar. Blasphemy can be as minor as, you know, saying, OMG, 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 whatever. What you're doing is assigning to God attributes that aren't him. And you and the ultimate extreme, which is considered the unforgivable sin, as Jesus calls it, is when you ascribe evil to God. When you're reversing the roles of God and the devil. You're saying God is evil, the devil is good. You might not say the devil is good, but you might say God is evil. God is the one doing evil. And then there are many examples when and you know you could you could definitely have a thought well maybe you know but then go back on it and and you didn't really believe it because it's it's kind of a faith belief too you have to really believe it when people really believe it what they do is they propagate that information so for example a, a science fiction writer that I used to like he hates Christianity and he publicly denounces Christianity as the worst influence in history. We would progress. We would be in this we would be Star Trek now. We would be reaching the stars by now if it weren't for Christianity. And he even wrote a short story where God's the evil person and Satan's actually the, the guy that's trying to help humanity and fight against God. And so that's that's an and, and of course this gets published. And people read it, and they are influenced by it. And that's an example of, I would say, an unforgivable sin, where you're an, an extreme version of the third of breaking the third commandment. Blasphemy. 
There's blasphemy, and then there's blasphemy. You know, you'd be blaspheming God by not taking him seriously, by, you know, you know, somebody um, throws a surprise party for you and OMG pops out of your mouth. Essentially, you're, you're making God the God of surprise parties. And he's like, that's actually not my, my deal. But then the extreme is attributing evil to God. So I see how those all kind of fit together. You're making a false god. You're making God into a false god. And then you're making him into an evil god. I mean, it's just like three stages of blasphemy. And the reason I'm saying that is because that's what happened in the wilderness. They blasphemed God. They attributed evil to him. And then the curse came down hard on him and fiery serpents started coming out of the woodwork, out of the ground and, and biting them. And they're dying. And then the only way that they could escape, that rock of escape, was a bronze serpent on a pole. And all they had to do was look at it. And they were cured. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, I'm that. I'm that bronze serpent. All you have to do is look upon me with faith and you will live. So we are under the curse of fiery serpents and Jesus is the way out. So that's that example. And then the last example was what we talked about last week where they were at the border of the promised land. It was either last week or the week before. They're at the border of the promised land and they go, and when I go in, it's they got giants in there and it's really scary. And God said, I carried you like a father carries his son all the way to this point, And you're not going to trust me that I'm going to keep you safe as you go into this land and, and take it? And they're like, mm. So he says, done. None of you will go into the promised land. You are now going to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. And the only two people from your group that are going to survive, because remember, even Moses... Not for that reason, but for getting water out of the rock, not obeying God at the time. Doesn't get to see the promised land either. Aaron doesn't get to see the promised land. Miriam doesn't get to see the promised land. No one gets to see the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb, the two scouts who came back and said, it's good, let's do it. The two people with faith. And then, of course, these people bred in another whole generation, so they actually had people to go over the border with them. But these, the original people, they all died. And like Paul said, they were all rescued from Egypt, they all went through the Red Sea, but they didn't have faith in the rock of escape. They didn't have faith in God. And so they were left to die in the wilderness, and only the people with a true, abiding, saving faith in Christ were allowed in the promised land. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now this is, this is the encouraging part that Paul writes here. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You don't have any special temptation in your life that no one's ever, no one's ever gone through. 
God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way, the way of escape that you may not be able, that you may be able to endure it. That's not a physical temptation because you obviously people have been overwhelmed by temptations physically. And that's not people people do translate that as God won't give you more than you can handle. And then people die of cancer. Guess what? He gave them more than their bodies could handle. But this is, he doesn't give you more, he doesn't allow, because God doesn't tempt us. When it says, lead us not in temptation, he's saying, in the, in the, in the Lord's Prayer, the, the thing that the Pope is trying to change right now, he's saying this, don't allow more temptation than we can handle to take our souls away from you. It's a soul thing. Our bodies can get overwhelmed by disease. Our, our bodies can be burned up. That happens. Physical pain, there is plenty of physical pain that is too much for people. But God will never allow us to be tempted with the faithful ones, the people who have faith in Christ. He'll never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle so that we fall away. He will always keep us. He says, not one of my sheep is lost. And he does that through Jesus Christ. And the last thing I want to say is how he does it through Jesus Christ. And it's really, it's, it's, it's kind of like, remember, Moses didn't see into, didn't get into the promised land either. But he interceded for the people over and over again. He even said, Lord, take me instead and let them live. So he filled that Christ role during those times. I mean, he's saved eternally. Moses, we know, is in heaven because he even appeared to the apostles in the, in the New Testament. But in the physical example that we can use as a metaphor for our walk with God, he didn't physically make it into the promised land as an example for us spiritually. So that's physical things that happen in the Old Testament. We, we are to take as spiritual lessons for our souls. So Isaiah 53, this is how Jesus does save us. Think of yourselves in a deep, dark cavern. And we can't get out. And it's just becoming overwhelming. It says, Jesus, this, this is the suffering servant, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. Jesus is, Jesus incarnated, he came to earth, and he was counted among us. He wasn't over here on this side. He was in the cave with us. I think that's an important thing to, to say because we know, oh, Jesus is so up here and we're so down here. How can he be my rock of escape? Because he's so far up here. And we have to remember, he humbled himself to being in the cave with us. 
And to be a rock of escape, he needs to be in the cave and be the way out of the darkness. It says, therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, with the transgressors. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, or with, with the, the numerous, because we're all sinners. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. The way he's the rock of escape is that he becomes, even though he's sinless, he becomes counted by God among the transgressors. He becomes sin for us. Paul actually literally says that. He becomes sin for us so that we can escape sin. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He leads us out. He's, he's not only... He's the messenger. He's the messenger that comes and stops Saul from getting us. He's the rock of escape. He's, he's, even, he's even God using the Philistines to attack the land so that, Paul, that Saul will stop. It's it's amazing because you can then see him everywhere as the agent of God's rescue for our souls. And when you think of Jesus as that, there there is no temptation that's too great. And we're tempted all the time, even in little ways. And we'll sin and we'll fail and we'll fall, but we know he's there as an eternal rescue for our souls and that we have this way of escape. Amen. Please stand.